0: Welcome, friends and family, to the latest, greatest episode of the Network Age. I am Bitchel Ritson here with my handsome, intelligent, good vibes co-host, Nilrun Mardux. Nilrun, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Ah, I'm so good. It's cold here, but it's also beautiful. And uh, we've got a great guest today. Uh, Tim Luck Miptev will not be joining us. He's uh, he's still on hiatus this week, but we've got an excellent replacement, probably even even smarter and funnier. Uh, Duchess Tipro, one of the devs at Uqbar, and an all-around just fun guy to to hang out with.
1: Yeah, Duchess is someone I've you know hung out with. I met you know New Year's in uh Mex New Year's Eve, Mexico City. I'm um, going into 2022, romantic. and yeah, it was it was really romantic. We couldn't find a beautiful candlelight dinner because everything was closed in Mexico City, uh-huh. but you know the romance has only blossomed from there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And he uh, is just a, a interesting guy to talk to because he knows so much about Urbit at this point. He obviously is working on Okhbar, is also doing um, some core development for Urbit and just brings so much enthusiasm and and energy to the project. I think it's exactly the, the right person to to have around on something that needs a little get up, needs a little kick in the pants, you know.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I'd watched him kind of working on shitcoining for some time and then saw him getting, you know, full time into Urbit, into Hooning. And it's just been really cool. Like, you know, Pyro, I'm really excited to talk about that project, you know, lowering the cost of hosting. Um, It's really cool to see also like blog. You know, I'd wanted to actually be able to like use Urbit on a more daily basis. And until blog came out, there just wasn't a lot for me to do. Um, so that was awesome, and yeah, just really, really pumped about his vision for just expanding Urbit, growing it, maybe building out some more Web1 features on it. Yeah,
0: I think we're going to dive into all of that, plus a lot more about how Urbit can be a stronger digital community, and maybe we'll even jump into a, uh, an elusive project called PartyDAO. So we've got all that and more coming up, so stick around. Hello, and we're back. Welcome to the Network Age. Duchess Tiprol. We're really excited to have you join us. And uh, you know, you're an an Akbar engineer, uh, a native Hooner, a hater of cold landscapes, um, and you're here to chat with us about everything you're doing. And we're we're excited to have you. So thanks for joining us.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited.
0: Yeah. So, Dajas, I think you're, you're doing some of the most interesting uh, technical work on Urbit. But before we get to that, I think we'll start, as we often do, with your Urbit journey. Everyone finds this weird space in their own way, and I'm curious how you, how you got here.
2: Yeah, I guess I, it was the middle of the pandemic, and I was looking for ways to exit. Um, and so, like, exit has this sort of, like, mythical quality to it. It means, like, a lot of different things. And I think a lot of people talk about it in terms of these like pipe dream ideas, like, oh, we're going to build the new city. Oh, we're going to, you know, use cryptocurrency to get rid of the dollar, et cetera. And then Urbit came along as a way to exit Web2, which I thought was like pretty interesting and also pretty achievable. And so I got into the community pretty quick. It was super welcoming, easy to learn, all the stuff that I needed to. And so that's how I started. How did you hear about it, though? Um, so I heard about it via, there was like this one, it was weird. It was like this Zoom meeting that I found on Twitter and it was just like, it was literally titled How to Exit, right? And so I think <laughs> it was like Dryden Brown from like um, Praxis there. There was uh, Nick Carter, who's like a crypto guy. And then um, a representative from Urbit, who I actually haven't seen on the network in a long time, but he was convincing. Um, mm. Yeah. Who was it? Do you remember Um, him representing? I I actually, I I like, I remember seeing this guy at Assembly 2021, and never again. Uh, He might be out there. I don't remember his name either. Some say he's out there still. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, before
0: uh, we dive into some of this urban stuff, I'm, I guess, I'm curious why even you thought exiting was important. You know, sometimes we take for granted. On the show, that people share a lot of our ideas or share about the same things, but I think you know most people don't considering don't consider exiting a priority. Or if they if that's something that they throw around, they maybe have a few places that it matters to them to exit. Like, how did you come to that idea, and what are the parts of you know mainstream society that you feel like uh, are not doing it for you that you want to get out of?
2: Yeah, well, I guess you know there. Exit is usually, like, contrasted with voice. So if you want change in the world or in your life, there are two options. You can use your voice to try and change the existing system, or you can just leave it. And I think, uh, you know, sometime between 2016 and 2021, uh, I decided that voice was not going to work anymore. And so Mm. exiting was just, like, a much more easy, like, practical option um, to see the kind of change that I wanted in my life and, you know, broadly.
0: And you exit. You're interested in exiting not only digitally, but you're also, uh, you know, to to lightly dox you. You're in El Salvador uh, in the the urban little fantasy land down there. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. Do you feel like that sort of physical move has sort of reinforced the values that you've been pursuing as a as an herbiter in the digital landscape?
2: Yes, yeah, certainly. I mean, it. El Salvador is like a, one of the only like well governed countries on the planet. And so it's sort of weird to be in a place where things are actually getting better every day. Um, I mean, there are benefits and drawbacks, and sort of just like helping me plan out exactly what kind of exit I want and like where should I be physically, what should I be doing with my life. And just being around other people that are thinking the exact same thing has been super helpful. Yeah,
1: and so you you found Urbit in what that must have been like mid twenty twenty. What what is what's been the journey after that? Did you where, did you start working on Urbit immediately? Were um, you working on other things? Can you kind of walk through that?
2: Yeah, so I started. I think it was January, sometime during January or March of twenty twenty one, and then pretty soon after, uh, I found out that the, uh, the Urbit Foundation was running apprenticeship programs and so i got paired up with tim the uh absent host of this podcast right now and so he was my mentor Um, rest in peace right yeah so he was he was my mentor uh you know teaching me hoon and all that and then um on the side i was doing like blockchain work in like ethereum and so tim saw that and sort of pulled me aside and was like hey uh i know this orbit stuff is cool but do you want to make some money and i was like i do so I was doing <laughs> some I was doing some shit coining for a while. Uh we won't talk about that. Um and so then I picked up Hoon again in July of last year, around then. Um yeah, and so and I picked it up because all the shit coining had fell through. And so I went back to Tim and I was like, hey, this didn't work out. Can I have a job? And he said, Of course.
0: <laughs> and i uh... For for Hoon, you did this um, more to, like auto auto right? I guess you didn't go through Hoon school.
2: I, I I mean I went through Hoon school a while ago, sort of on my own. Like I, I wasn't in the class. Like I never like went to Neil's lectures or anything like that. I did just like kind of go through all like the documents online and you know ask people around me.
0: Sure. Well, I'm curious as someone you know. I did Hoon school, though I'm I'm non technical, but it, I think it's interesting. For, for any of our non-Urbit listeners, there um, is a lot of dialogue, conversation around Hoon, how it works as a language, whether or not Hoon is a a bug or a feature in Urbit, because it's um, some programmers consider it a rather uh, esoteric, difficult to parse. It, um, and I'm curious what your thoughts were coming into it. Like, do you... Like, both coming into it and now working in Hoon all the time, do you do you like Hoon as a language? Is that a question that even matters when you like the system?
2: Yeah, I mean, I do like Hoon a lot, and I do like the system. Um, I think, like, really, the sort of complaints that Hoon gets, it's like, from, I mean, so most languages basically look like JavaScript. It's like, like this sort of like C, like syntax, like C, C++, Python, JavaScript. Like all these languages like look roughly the same. So it's like you have to get over a couple hurdles of like, oh, like this thing is slightly different. Like the syntax is like a little weird. And But like you can basically go hop from all those languages to the next and like start up in like a day or two. Um, who doesn't like that? And... Honestly, I think a lot of the critiques is just like, oh, it's weird. It doesn't look like JavaScript. And I think the fact that it doesn't look like JavaScript is actually a big win in a lot of ways. Um, Yeah.
1: Like on on what dimension? I'm kind of curious, like, for example, like how long did it take from starting Tune to be like, to feel like you're really contributing to Uckbar? So,
2: admittedly, a a bit of a long time, though, I was sort of... um, I wasn't doing, like, all hoon all the time. There's a period in there where I was writing some other, like, smart contract stuff. Um, but, like, all in, like, just raw hooning, it was about, like, three or four months. Um, yeah. Which, so it's, it's sort of, like, rebooting, like, all, like, you know, if, if you were learning programming from scratch, like, how long does it take you to start writing, like, something actually productive? Like, three or four months. So it's sort of, like, relearning all of computing again. Um, and it's not that long, to be honest. Um, it felt, like, pretty pretty good and natural. Um, yeah, so three to four months to get
1: started, but now you're like, I mean, you just wrote up this WebSocket proposal. You've been, <laughs> which is you know, been de- debated quite a lot on Twitter. So it seems like you can go from yeah. you know starting off to actually contributing to kind of Erbit core in like pretty short time. Can you kind of talk about that? Like, what was that process to actually feel like you could, um, yeah, like contribute to to core Erbit and not just kind of side projects?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was. Basically like I think a lot of people get intimidated by the system but it's like not that hard. It's probably one of the, one of the easiest things to understand like in computing, right? Like all the code is like right there and you can just read it, you know? Like they don't want you to know mm. this but you can just read the source code and it makes a lot of sense. And so like once it's like this process of like learning how to learn, and, like, I think being around other herbiters in El Salvador was certainly helpful for that. I think now, like, if someone was interested in doing this, we have some other, like, online spaces that are good for this, like the Gather Town. Um, I kind of love the Gather Town, dude. I'm relatively yeah. new to it, yeah. but I find it just absolutely charming. It's really great, actually. Um, I think some people were trying to boycott it at first, being like, no, we're going to be so unproductive in there. And, like, I don't know, it's just, like, not true at all, because you can just, like, go and ask people questions instead of Googling them, which is so much more productive. You know? Yeah,
0: I do have the the problem though that I get I I get in the little go kart and I just zip around for like
2: <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> yeah, we we'll have to race each other sometime.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean that's recreating like you know the whole big tech experience, right? Like you play uh, ping pong or yeah. Well, it's the get.
0: I, I know I'm I know I'm uh, disrupting you a little bit, daches but I think the Gather Town was sort of the first time I felt like all this talk about like digital communities and like, this is a lot about what some of what we talked about with like Sam Frank on the last episode. And we, Mm. have talked about it before about how do you recreate the, the great things about a physical community in a digital space. And one of the main things that we said that was so difficult to replicate is, is uh, spontaneity and surprise and, um, uh, things happening by chance and, and run-ins, and there is this feeling that you can just walk into the little gather town, which for people who don't know is a digital hangout space that is 2D top-down view like old Pokemon that uh, replicates like a house where you can have a desk, and there's there's features you can decorate, and you can move your avatar around and see who's there, walk up to them, chat, and it's, I just, I find it really delightful, and in com- combining with some of the Urbit computing stack is sort of the first real gesture (laughs) towards this spontaneous uh, community stuff that feels like it actually kind of works.
2: Yeah, I agree. And it's like, you know, when I started this, which, you know, wasn't even that long ago, like a year and a half ago, it was like the only way for me to like get the knowledge I needed was to like set up an Urbit and like self-host on my own, which like was a lot of work, you know? And then I had to like physically move my body to like Mexico City and like El Salvador to like Mm -hmm. get this knowledge. And now you can basically just hang out in the gather town and you should... Be able to ask anybody a bunch of like really deep questions pretty quickly.
0: Yeah. Does it does it ever mess with your brain? I find this is something I found myself doing the other day. I wanted I was gonna leave the Gather Town, and instead of just Xing out the window, I walked towards the front door, and like halfway there, I was like, (laughs) What am I doing? This, (laughs) this This is not a real space. I can just hit the X.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of, like, digital things should, like, probably map to things we're already familiar with. I mean, this is, like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, like, Apple Notes looks like a notepad. It's, like, just because, you know, that's what makes sense to us already. But, like, yeah. having all, of, like, you know, sort of digital Hangout and, like, community in the form of this, like, video game is, like, uh, just genius.
0: Yeah, so do you do you have any thoughts about places in Urbit that could maybe learn that lesson, like, ways that... You know, we have actual tactile uh, experiences in the real world that we don't want to completely replace digitally that give us something to hold on to and anchor our experience and that when melded with the digital world, you can actually reach, like, a really great compromise that shares qualities we like in both systems. Are there other places that Urbit could learn from this or, or borrow from him?
2: You know, I think the answer is definitely yes. It's sort of like... You know, I almost wonder if like we actually have to work on like technical problems before this is like mostly feasible like how long mm-hmm. like could we build Town today? like I, we need like a bit more like oomph into Urbit like the WebSocket proposal that I write is would actually allow us to build Town like urban native pretty easily um, do yeah. Do you want to tell us about the WebSocket proposal then? Sure, and I think like it's actually changed pretty rapidly since then, but the idea is that like if anybody has used Urbit um at all. Like, just, like, just, like, the front end, you know that, like, it's a little wonky. Like, it's not as smooth as Discord. It's not, like, you know, it doesn't feel, like, super snappy. And that sucks. And so, you know, if we really want to, like, bring in a lot of people and, like, get to parity with these Web2 apps, then the web server, like, Urban is a web server. We have to, like, make it a lot better. And so WebSockets was Mm -hmm. one way of doing that. Um, And so... I think, like, since then, like, uh, yesterday I was talking with, like, a bunch of people. I mean, for context, I released the proposal yesterday as well. So I've already, Mm -hmm. like, kind of gotten enough feedback. Yesterday, Um, two weeks ago, when this airs. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, the funny thing is that, like, I spent two weeks debugging, like, trying to fix Air like, in its current state. And then I decided, like, two or three days ago, like, this is not going to work. Like, we need to do something else. I wrote the WebSocket proposal, and then got a bunch of feedback from that. And now I think I have, like, a really solid plan. But WebSockets are basically just, like, a much better supported technology than what we're currently using for developing, like, real-time web apps, right? So, like, real-time chat, you need something like WebSockets to get that to work, Um and so the current mm. solution that I'm actually working with now, which I'll probably write up very shortly, is sort of like, um, it's even stupider. Like WebSockets is sort of like a complicated protocol, but like we can actually get a lot of performance by just being dumb. Like just have your, your browser just hit your urbit every like one second being like, hey, is there any, new, is there any like new content? Is there any new content? Is there any new content? And then the server will mostly say no until there is and it'll send it back down. And so that mm. pattern of just, like, having your browser hit your urbit all the time is actually, like, a pretty robust connection. And you don't run into almost any of the problems that we have or that we see with Urban in its current form. So I'm pretty excited to build it. I have, like, most of it already built. I'm, like, testing it. So, like, so for this... reference, like, yeah, like, we had, like, it's two weeks trying to debug this in its current form. And one day, basically prototyping the entire thing that can fix it. So...
1: And and so this is, but this is mostly a short term fix, right? Because I imagine that has scaling issues if you're, if the browser is ping right. your orbit every single second. Um, so is right. the idea well, to so do this kind of short-term quick and dirty fix and then move Urbit towards WebSockets. Is that the overall Right. Idea? So this
2: was the initial idea. Was that like, okay, like, let's just do something quick and dirty first. And then I started thinking through it more. And like, actually, if we just work on optimizing this a lot, we can get it extremely performant, right? Because like one of the things that's like uh, slow about Urbit is that it's single-threaded, right? But if all you're doing is reading data from your Urbit, then that doesn't actually hit the event loop. Like, it doesn't matter that it's single-threaded. You can actually parallelize all of that. And so in the Twitter mm. thread yesterday, there was some discussion about this. So you could actually have this whole system there, and it doesn't like, affect the speed of your Urbit at all. Um, so I think like, currently I'm like, more optimistic that we can like, optimize this polling solution really far, and we can do a lot with this before even needing to like, think about WebSockets again.
1: Yeah, and so this would essentially, yeah, go along the lines of just, like, making Urbit work better such that we could build something like um, Gather Town on Urbit and we don't have to, like, use kind of old Web2 solutions.
2: Right, right. I mean, WebSockets and all these technologies are, like, Web2. It's just sort of, like, getting Urbit to parity with a server that, like, you know, was, like, an actual production web server, Right, it's like pretty good right now, but like I think, um, like if you just whip something like random out of the box, like it would probably outperform Erbit, you know. I mean, we're not that far away from like beating that, but you know, the fact that yeah. we're not there yet is like a bad sign. Like we need to push on this like very far, very fast.
0: Sure. I mean, if Erbit is ever to grow, it needs to, as the people say, just work. Right. It, yeah. it just people need to have the illusion that this is the exact same shit that they're using otherwise, because the the world is just so convenient. Like, all the tools we made just are, have really, you know, it's, a ton has been sacrificed for convenience, but now it's the expectation, and most people don't, on, in their daily lives, encounter a lot of the problems that Urbit is trying to solve. Like, on, for most people on a day-to-day, like, the centralization and, like, sort of autocratic nature of, like, web two and fang stuff just doesn't matter it doesn't affect them and so if you people might buy the pitch uh of what urbit offers them but if it takes uh five seconds and a couple refreshes to send a message there's just you're just not going to get um anything but like the edge case people
2: yeah exactly it's like really unacceptable and like you know i think A lot of the opposition to implementing something like WebSockets is basically that it's, like, too complicated or that, like, you know, I mean, one one discussion thread that came up was, like, oh, well, you know what, really, like, we should just, like, ditch the browser and, like, dude, like, you know, the ability to, like, reinvent everything is, like, a zero interest rate phenomenon. Like, and we don't live in that world anymore. So it's like, okay, Erbit is now a web server. That's what it is. Let's work on this. Let's make it a really good web server. You know, mm-hmm. there's like an impulse in Erbit to like ditch every existing technology and reinvent it from scratch, which I sympathize with. It's just that right now, you know, Herbit is in like a, a very like critical stage where it could fail or it could become, you know, something real. And so we have all these startups with millions of dollars on the line. It's like, are we really going to talk about like reinventing the browser? Like, I think that's a waste of time. I think we should just start make start making Urbit a really good web server.
1: Great. Mm. And related to that, I think you very you recently created Blog, right? Which isn't the first Urbit blogging service, but it's the first one I've been using because it, it actually works and it's pretty um, user-friendly. Can you kind of talk a little bit about like this Web1 vision for Urbit and kind of products that could be built that make Urbit just like, yeah, utilize that? fact that Urbit could be a good web server right yeah i mean
2: i think if Urbit had a tagline it would be simple durable yours um so Mm. and i don't think that anything out there actually feels like it is simple durable and yours right so like you know if we're i I think like this is basically like a mistaken strategy where it's like you know we went straight to trying to recreate web 2 so it's like oh let's like do discord let's do like all these other like things Mm. and like we actually didn't build up the foundations to make that feel like something unique and like decentralized and like, like your own home. So like, Mm. you know, it's sort of weird that I like open up groups and it's like, well, this doesn't feel like mine. Like I can't easily modify the front end. You know, I can't like modify the way that like my group looks and feels and like, I can't add features to it. It's like pretty, it's pretty weird like that. Um, And so like my idea is basically that we should change direction and that we should start with web one, right? Just like, which was a decentralized web, right? Like, everybody, like, ran their own web page, and, like, you had a blog or, like, some sort yeah. of, like, static content that people would just read. Um, and that was actually pretty cool. And we can do that really easily with Herbie today. We have a bunch of people running their own servers, and they can just start posting, like, static HTML to the web. Um, and so that's what I made with blog, um, was basically just, like, okay, let's let's get web one on Urbit. Let's just see how fast we can get that to work. And it turns out it takes a weekend, right? Like, to actually <laughs> build that software that makes that work, it's a weekend, Right. And so, like, if, you know... And and then from here, like, I think what we can do is we can actually build up Web2 from this foundation in a way that actually is, like, simple, durable yours. So, like, instead of, like, now we go straight to Discord or, like, something that feels, like, really centralized where, like, we have a bunch of designers, like, you know, deciding on what the user interface is, what we can do is just make a bunch of tools that let people publish and, like, coordinate apps using Urbit as, like, a backend, right? So, like, Mm. we start... By like publishing blogs, right, which is just static content, and then now let's imagine that we want to add like backlinks into these blogs, which is like one of like the biggest features that HTML and HTTP like lacks is that there's no way to know all the pages that like you know this web page references or is referenced by, right? Like the yeah, backlink and it's something is Something we really liked about
1: like Vienna Hypertext or using Rome Research, like that note-taking software,
2: just like yeah. you can kind of like go down a deep rabbit hole once you have backlinks. Exactly, exactly. And so if you want to, like, recreate the web with backlinks, then you need a bunch of people running their own servers and a protocol on the back end that tells people, like, when, like, their page was referenced. And so, Mm. you know, from that, you can start building up, like, a bunch of, like, Web2, like, services, right? So, like, imagine sort of, like, Twitter or, like, Tumblr where it's, like, you have your blog and then you have the ability to, like, retweet or, like, reblog someone else's content and bring that into your homepage, and then everybody's, like, Mm. surfing, like, a bunch of decentralized homepages across the web. I think that's, like, a really cool future that we should be working towards.
0: Yeah. I mean, that, that it feels like, it's an interesting pitch to, like, reach the future by going backwards and sort of saying, like, hey, Web 2, as we understand it, doesn't actually offer us the stuff we want, so why are we trying to recreate it? Like, We're we're dissatisfied with this, so what's the point of of trying to do it again? And I think that taking this sort of more circuitous route actually makes a lot of sense and will end up being a more individual, community-focused version of the Internet than one where every person has their, their personality abstracted away, aside from when they can collect your
2: data and sell it. Right. I mean, it's such a joke to me when people on Twitter are like, oh, like I'm an artist when I post to Twitter, like I'm like a real writer. You know, it's like you can't customize anything about this. You know, like the most you can do is like post photos, like you can like customize your bio and like people would love it to like break out of that and be like, no, like my entire feed, I'm customizing the way that that looks. I'm like presenting like a unique image and you just can't do that. Like it's just off limits completely. Um, and I don't think that like, you know, another point, like I don't think it's not worth it to rebuild some web 2 things. Like, um, but like it should be hosted on your Urbit and it should be like very easy to like spin up a new like web two site. Like so for instance, like people tried to recreate 4chan on Urbit. And sort of the problem is that like the biggest like thing about, er- about 4chan that people love is that it's anonymous. And so, mm. when you actually add in a permanent identity, it makes it super easy to de-anonymize everybody. So they tried to build 4chan in like, a, in like an Herby way, and it actually just fails on like the main use case of 4chan. Mm. And so, what we should be able to do is just like instead write an app that lets people spin up their own 4chan clone super easily, and then people can post anonymously to it.
1: Yeah, and it's how like all you these sort of like Web for? two things
2: like you can recreate, right? It's just like you don't, you know. Like, it just has to be hosted on your Urbit and easy to spin up is, like, the main difference.
1: Mm. Yeah, and, like, how how far away is this future? Like, you built blog in, like, two days. Can you kind of speak towards the things that are, like, possible today in terms of, like, where Urbit's already at versus, you know, maybe things that are, like, further down the road that require, like, you know, maybe a more performant web server? Can you kind of speak towards the stuff that's, like, possible today in your opinion?
2: Right. I mean, I think almost all of like what you think of as like static content so sort of like pretty much all facebook posts most of instagram um pretty much all of twitter i mean all of twitter actually all of it all of that is possible today to be like quite performant Mm. it's sort of like the more real time that it gets the sort of more work that we need to put into urbit's like performance so something like uh like voice chat in video chat, like they, they, they work for sure, you know, um, but it's like, you know, it would be nice to have like more performance and make these things easier. So in the like, Gather Town, you definitely need more performance. It's like gaming, like web gaming through your Urbit, definitely needs uh, more work.
1: Okay. Okay. Really interesting. And then related to what you said earlier, Daches, you mentioned that you know you started off uh, self-hosting um, your Herbit that it was kind of annoying. Can you kind of talk about the Pyro project, like what what that project was initially intending to do, and kind of how that could change how hosting works on Herbit down the road?
2: Right. Yeah. So so Pyro started out as uh, just for testing. The idea is that like what you can do is you can simulate a bunch of Herbits in one Herbit at full speed. And so what you can do is, like, within one chip, yeah, it's, like, (laughs) total, like, urbitception. What? Yeah. And so what you can do is you can simulate an entire virtual network inside one urbit, which makes writing tests for, like, peer-to-peer apps extremely easy. So something like poker, where it's, like, you have a host and you have, like, five ships and, like, they're all, like, poking each other and sending all this crazy stuff around, that's really, really hard to model unless you have something like Pyro, where you can just, like, write one script that just says, hey, A, poke B, then B, poke C, and yada, yada, yada all the way down to like write your test. And so that was the idea with Pyro It was just for testing. And then right around the Mm. time that I uh, finished it, um, we're living with a guy working on hosting and he was like, Oh, you know, like uh, your project was actually like uh, someone proposed a while ago that this was supposed to be used for hosting as well. And I never even heard of this idea before. And so I went down the rabbit hole. I read all the old proposals and it turns out that by simulating a bunch of virtual ships inside one ship, like you're really close to just having like you know like being able to host like real orbits inside one orbit right so like let's say like i run like my ship but then that also has the ability to host like multiple moons or if i'm a star i can spawn multiple planets in one click which means that i don't have to spin up anything new i can just use the existing orbit that i already have set up to host many multiple more ships
0: are we running into that scenario, right, where it's it's more likely than not that we are living in a simulation uh, because we're being simulated by another universe, et cetera, nested all the way down? Like, is are are we already more likely to be inside an orbit, inside an orbit, inside an orbit? I
1: think you we're know, already inside of an orbit right now, Mitchell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah. I mean. <laughs> I'm not a philosopher. I think currently... Someone actually has to build this system. So it's called Armada, for anyone curious. Um, The idea is that, like, you have, like, a ship captain, right, which is, like, the main host, and then that, like, ship captain can host multiple other ships, so it's like an armada of ships, but it's all within one ship, right? Mm. Um, And so... I think, like, I I know, like, very well, like, what the timeline is and, like, what exactly we need to do to get to this point. And, like, the investment isn't there currently, like, the demand for, like, this sort of a product. But, like, the future is really clear. Like, it's going to be super easy for you to spin up, like, micro hosts, right? So, like, if I just have the know-how to spin up one urbit, then suddenly I can, like, host, like, five friends without any hit to performance. Sure.
0: The... Does this pose any sort of uh, centralization risks, risks, like that someone who is hosting you in their urbit can easily um, take that away and, and restrict your access to your urbit? Or is this the type of thing that you would only want to do this within like an already trusted
2: network? Yeah, that's true. But I actually think that it decreases centralization risk, because what you would have, like, without Armada, what it would be would be, like, you know, a couple, of like, big hosting providers. And if you're kicked off that, then you have to self-host, which can be a pain. And, like, maybe you don't even know how to. Maybe you don't have access to anybody that does. And that sucks. But... With Armada, then what you can do is actually, like, hosting gets much, much more decentralized because anyone can be a host really easily. Like, as long as you have the Unix chops to self-host once, then you can self-host, you know, up to, let's say, like, five to ten more ships. And so then, like, you know, instead of paying, like, some big company to host my ship, I can pay my best friend that happens to be really good with, you know, self-hosting. And he can just run my ship for me. And it's no burden to him.
0: And uh, what what kind of dollars and cents are we are we talking actually? Like if like on a monthly level, what does it cost somebody
2: to to host a ship using this method? If you had to guess, pennies. The the guy that yeah the guy that I live with that works on hosting uh, he said pennies to host. It would drop the cost dramatically to host ships.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's really dope.
2: The The technical reason why is because like you know a bunch of ships. Like, all these ships have, like, the exact same files inside. Like, they're all running, like, the same operating system. So, like, for a file like hoon.hoon, which is, like, you know, 10,000 lines of code, maybe more, then it's, like, you know, why, like, if you have it split up a bunch of, a bunch of like, if you have that split up across a bunch of different instances, then, like, you have that 10,000 lines of code copied, like, you know, 10 times. But if it's mm-hmm. all within one ship, then they can all point to one copy. And so that makes it, like, you know, much, much more efficient.
1: Yeah, and I think it, it gets around this kind of issue of of just, like, having to self-host. Um, I mean, like, you're contributing to Core, but, like, you're Talon-hosted. Um, yeah, I've obviously I've been around Urbit for, like, coming up to, like, about two and a half years now. But, like, while I do have one ship that is self-hosted, it's kind of a pain in the ass. And I often have to, like, ask you or Ted how to, <laughs> you know, fix, like, the issues. And then with the whole, like, Groups 2 rollout you know, a ton of ships went down. There were a ton of issues. So I, I feel like we're getting, like, more aware of this, like, Urbit's really easy to distrib- distribute software. Like, it's awesome for the developer. But, like, self-hosting is still a pain. And so it's kind of, you know, begs the question, what does the future look like? Can we avoid centralization if self-hosting's a pain? Can we can we still provide solutions that are cheap and easy to use?
2: Yeah, and, like, the answer to that is definitely yes. We need, like, to get, like, Pyro and to turn it into Armada, I think is, like, two like, high-caliber engineers for, like, 6 to 12 months, and that's it.
1: Okay, so it started It started just to kind of test the internal suite, but now it's like, oh, okay, uh, we can do kind of, like, the Uncle Jim one-person-runs-servers-for-other-people model. Um, can you kind of dive yeah, in exactly. a little bit to, like, this whole – I mean, that project's, like, dope, but I hope someone, like, starts working on it soon – Um, I'm kind of curious, like what, what have you kind of learned from building decentralized apps, like from poker, like you were building out this testing suite, like what's different about building decentralized apps from building like a normal
2: app? Um, it's a lot harder, right? Because in a centralized app like you can control all the logic, like literally every logic, like every single change to your database in one place. And so like, imagine there might even be bugs, right? But like, you can pick them up really easily because you have access to the central server, so it's like, oh, you immediately mm. see the bug. With a decentralized app, it's like maybe there's a bug, and no one runs into it for a very long time until someone that downloads your app just happens to hit this weird edge case, and everything goes crazy, and then you have to like spend time like replicating their state and doing all this stuff. Um, that's like very; it, it's just extremely difficult to debug. Um, and so, like, what I've sort of learned, I guess there are like a couple different patterns for making like, decentralized software, like, composable? I guess this is more of, like, a composability thing than, like, a decentralization thing, where, like, you know, how, how, how should we be coordinating mm. and, like, integrating multiple apps to make, like, one sort of, like, big, cohesive app, right? So, like, imagine you have, like, a calendar app, and then you have, like, I don't know, like, some... Maybe that's a bad example. Um, what's something that we wanted to do? So, like, for poker, it's, like, we wanted to... Um, integrate chat. Like, we want to chat in poker. And so, yeah. like, the sort of problem with this is that, like, we were always tempted to use the chat solutions that are already out there. So, like, Groups was there. And so we were, like, at first, hey, let's just build it with that. And so the composability there, like, it turns out is, like, quite difficult to get right. Um, and I think, like, one of the main things is that you actually have to do backend composability, um, or what I'm calling back-end composability. And basically what that means is that, like, you need, like, the state of two apps to stay in sync, and you're not the maintainer of one of those apps. And Mm -hmm. that gets extremely hard. So if Twan is developing one thing and Ukbar is developing another, then like this gets extremely difficult because you often need to make modifications to like one of those code bases, right? To actually get the integration to work. And so like, I think like backend composability, like I've almost given up on it. Um, I mean, not permanently, but you know, for the time being. you know, because it's just impossible. Like, you know, unless you are the maintainer of both of those, like, both of those separate apps, then you can get them to coordinate easily. But if it's, like, two organizations, then, like, it kind of just gets out of hand. Um, So
1: that's different from
2: from what you did with Blog, right, where you integrated it with Rumors? Right, yeah, yeah. So this is, like, a separate kind of integration that I'm calling, like, front-end integration. And what this is doing is that, like, the back-end of Blog and the back-end of Rumors do not need to coordinate to maintain state at all like they do not need to know about each other in theory and so all i'm doing is like i'm setting up a front end such that the front end has like two different pokes one to blog and one to rumors and so you're basically just using your front end as a way to sort of like you know create this like tool that lets you do like a bunch of stuff right with separate apps but like it's not trying to like make sure that like oh the blog gets like posted to the rumor and like there's like some state coordination there like that is really feasible. Yeah, it's interesting because I feel like for a long time Urbit was in this
1: place where, you know, I'm I'm living at the Urbit hacker house. Um, you know, we've obviously like traveled with a ton of herbiters, gone to like Talon offsites, obviously assembly, um, Kyiv, all this all this stuff. And like for a long time, there was all this talk about like, oh, some like X company or person is building this software, just wait until it's ready and then like, you know, you'll be able to integrate with them. Like Groups two is coming out now. Like, just wait. It's like, hold off, don't do anything until that happens. Um, and so, there was always this kind of like, I don't know, it was like this weird thing where it's like the message is Urbit's fun to build on, Urbit's easy to build on. But it, it seemed like the message, <laughs> then the kind of actual message was like, oh, just wait until someone else
2: builds it. And then you can start right. building. Right. I mean, it's basically just like turned into like a big excuse to not build anything. Because, um, like, really what <laughs> you'd find is that, like, oh, like, how hard is like that other person working on their project? And the answer is like, you know, like quarter time, maybe less, you know? So it's like, okay, Mm. this thing is actually never going to come out. They basically just wrote it up and like deployed like some shitty protocol or some like app like, and now they're not maintaining it. They're not trying. And it's like, well, do you really want to integrate with that? Like, that's kind of a waste of time. Like versus just like, like, you know, as a developer, just like rebuilding all of that from scratch into like one centralized thing that's actually good, you know? I mean, so for my own example of this, it was like, I was waiting for Terrell Studio to get good. And then eventually it just never got there. And so I was just like, well, I could probably build it myself and that would be good. And so now here we are, you know, with like a tool that I'm like pretty happy with and a bunch of other people are too. Well, I I think this brings up a question that
0: I sometimes have for Urbit, which is an interesting ecosystem because there are obviously real companies with uh, investment and salaries and people who are being paid to Build applications and maintain them. And then you also have a ton of development that is just being done by amateurs and enthusiasts and people who care about the project. And it's, it's kind of easy for me to imagine certain projects getting lost in the middle there. Something starts being developed or is half developed or even comes out and it works pretty well. But then the people who are Using it because it's maybe not their full time job or because like a product isn't monetized, it doesn't get support it doesn't get maintained in the same way i do so i I'm wondering right. like do you have a feeling of how the ecosystem is going to deal with like potentially all these wild applications wandering around it's difficult to know which ones are being maintained, which ones are going to be used long term because then if you if you sort of Invest your time in the wrong one, perhaps it just isn't usable in the same way eventually. Right.
2: Yeah. So this actually happened with Terrell, like, because they integrated with Groups One. That was like their sort of like editor for their blogs. And uh, then Tlon cut Groups One support. So you're just screwed. So I think like the actual solution here is just always build it yourself, just always build the entire thing that you need for yourself. And then you don't have to rely on anybody. Like, I'm sure there are, like, special relationships out there where it's, like, no, I'm, like, really confident that this company, like, we have a great relationship. Like, this is going to be maintained. Like, if you're really confident, then, like, you know, maybe think about it. Um, But otherwise, like, just build it all yourself. Does like, I think, yeah. This is how we're going to actually get composability is that, like, someone's just going to make an entire suite top to bottom, and it's just going to be good. And then people will want to integrate with it and extend it.
0: Okay, I mean, that was what I was going to ask you is if that the sort of build-it-yourself mentality, like is um, a barrier to like all the composability stuff that seems to excite some people because it feels like part of the uh, the benefit of composability of composability as it's been pitched is that there are sort of tools laying around that you can pick up and use ad hoc in your own projects
2: right I mean I think it's easy to see how that might happen it's just that like we're too early so it's like mm-hmm. did we have we built the best, chat app have we built the best blogging software and like the answer to like almost all these things is no even after multiple iterations so it's like if you really want to like build like a brand new suite or like a brand new app that has like these features i would really just recommend rebuilding the entire thing top to bottom and then like yeah, i think in the future like all these primitives are going to get a lot more robust because we're going to have like actual revenue and cash flow to maintain them and then like at that point you can be confident that um certain some of these projects will be maintained and you can start relying on them like i don't Mm, think we're there yet
1: like 10 years down the road (laughs) hopefully far quicker
2: maybe in like two years we'll have like yeah i don't want to put a number to it yeah Yeah, i don't want to put a number to it but it's like you know the the most composable app will win anyway like the best performing and most composable will win hmm yeah yeah that makes sense
1: um in terms of like costs like do you think you mentioned like the issues with building decentralized apps like do you think, um, can that developer experience, like, hit parity eventually? Like, is it sort of, like, the same issue with, like, Urbit as a web server? It can eventually hit that parity. It just needs to continue, you know, essentially just improving core. Or, or, or is there something inherent about decentralized apps that's just going to, like, mean decentralized apps are more expensive and slower to build than centralized apps?
2: Mm, yeah, that's a good question. I think there is, like, a sort of, you, you are dealing with, like, a much more complex system just because, like, you know, think about, like, a client-server, like, a graph of just, like, the client-server relationship versus a peer-to-peer app. Like, it's just inherently more complex. Um, so, I think, like, the, the, hmm. the solution isn't to, like, you know, ignore that complexity or to, like, give up and say it's too complex. It's just to, like, build good tools so that we can understand it better. And that's basically what Pyro is. Um, so, I'm pretty confident that, like, we can get to, like, a good developer experience just with that. Um, Like we've made like really massive strides with Pyro and Ziggurat, which is the name of the testing suite that's like attached to Pyro. Um, And I think that's going to make things a lot easier. I'm
0: curious about uh, to hear more about your view of the developer experience, because I think that is also one of the big pitches of Urbit and a lot of what Ukbar is trying to sell is a best in class developer experience. And it seemed like when I first started getting involved in Urbit um, about a year ago, actually, there was all this enthusiasm about the developer growth rate and how how many people were learning Hoon and just what felt like a sort of exponential explosion of interest in Urbit, especially from the developer side. And anecdotally, it seems to me that that has slowed somewhat. The, the network seems to be a little bit less active. Do you think that, I don't know, I'm curious if you have any thoughts on like the reason for that or if that's even accurate and what really catapults um, the developer experience to the next level to restart that exponential growth.
2: Yeah. I mean, I do think there's like some truth to that, right? I think like the main problem is that like, we're trying to like build something, like we're trying to build machines that are way too complicated. Like, so if you go with like my idea to build like web one and then web two and sort of like build up these pieces then like, I think all these apps are super simple to build. Like yesterday, um, I didn't even do it. It was uh, Ted and like our other friend upstairs just built Twitter, like the feed software that would like basically make Web 2 like built off Web 1 on Urbit possible. And they built it in a day um, or like an afternoon, like not even a full day. Um, So I think like all this stuff, it's basically that we're trying to build things that are too complex. Like Discord is like a very complex product. Not that we shouldn't have it eventually, but it's like I don't know if it's the right thing right now.
0: Well, when you have a, a nameless upstairs genius is building all your things, you know, maybe this comes... <laughs> I keep, I feel like there, you keep, you know, like referencing the man upstairs. And I'm beginning to wonder if if you're healthy, you know,
2: if, right. you, if you're all with it. Right, yeah. Now, um, I'll, <laughs> I'll leave this as an exercise to the viewer.
1: Well, it's just fascinating because, you know, Coinbase had their big announcement yesterday, right, where they're like, okay, we're going to build um, our own... Um, our own roll-up um, uh, on ETH. And then they were talking a lot about, they, they released their secret master plan that I guess was already out there a little bit earlier, but it was talking a lot about just like mass adoption and decentralized apps that are actually useful. And so it's, it's sort of funny. I feel like we're just, Urbit feels so far ahead of these other um, companies and projects that I see on on Twitter because they're just starting like, oh yeah, we need decentralized apps. And it's like, well, you just built decentralized blog, you know, Ted built decentralized right. Twitter. The back end of it, at least in an afternoon. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it, it just feels, I'm kind of curious what kind of how you see this future evolving.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's going to be like pretty stark once Supar launches and like we work out a couple kinks. Cause, like, you know, to build a decentralized app or so decentralized apps right now are really like 99% like financial, like smart contract based. You know, it's like really like the app is like you're swapping or you're like you're doing lending. And like that's it. Like that's the product. Right. And it's like most of the decentralized apps that we want do not involve like they involve maybe like 5% crypto or like finance stuff. It's just that like 5% is like a really critical part of it. Right. So like imagine we wanted to add like crypto payments into blog so that you had to like subscribe. Right. Like that's not the main product. Like the main thing is like being able to write your blog. Like the be like the pay the paywall the pay barrier that is like five percent but it's like a really critical five percent that we need to get right and so the fact that we already have the blog system and I think Hodz had said he could write like the payment integration in like a weekend you know it means that like you know we're already pretty close. Yeah, I mean
1: poker is even like a better example, right? You can play poker, but if you don't have money in it, it's like uh, I don't know, it's not that
2: fun. Right? Exactly. I mean, like I guess. I mean, like, really starting, like, an online, like, De- DeFi gambling operation is, like, more, like, an exercise in, like, legal, you know, shenanigans than it is in technology.
1: Hmm. Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I guess I'm curious on the aspects of just, like, you know, you're in this Urbit guild. Um, can you talk about, like, what that is, why it was created, and, and kind of, yeah, like, what the purpose of it is?
2: Yeah, I mean, the purpose of the Urbit Guild is basically just to get all the core developers in one place to sort of come to consensus on things. Um, yeah, I mean, there are a couple models for software development. There's like the bazaar and the cathedral, and like Urbit is not at the point where we want a bazaar, basically meaning like a bunch of different people contributing like random things and it's just kind of like chaos, but like you get a lot of good work out of that. Some projects are good for that. Um, but like Urbit is basically needs to be a cathedral right now where we like centralize a lot of like decision making. And so basically like the guild is about like sharing knowledge and like coming to consensus from what I understand. Um, So it's basically just a group of everybody that has contributed to core. Okay. So
1: bridge the fact that now core isn't just Talon. now there's all these um, ecosystem companies and there's also the urban foundation that's doing a lot of core as well. So basically like
2: add in a command structure for that. Right. I don't know if it's like, like that, that I think that makes it seem like more centralized than it is. It's sort of just like, it's basically a group, right in its current form it's a group like i like there are mm. more ambitions there, but it, it it's a group right now um where we just kind of talk and you know do technical stuff do you guys have a, a crest or any sort of secret greeting uh no, I'm not sure if there's a plan for this um you know I'm not one of the runners of the guild, so you know i I can't speak to the plan you're an of apprentice it. you're you're studying up you know I don't know if i'm you know i'm i'm very close to graduating from Apprentice to, you <laughs> know. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you uh,
0: consider yourself a craftsman? Is is coding an art or a craft or some, something between?
2: Um, I've actually, you know, it was working on Pyro that really made me feel like it was like a, a craft or like some sort of art that I like really took pride in. Like I was really proud that I got Pyro down, which is like a lot of machinery down to like 550 lines of code, which is really small. Um, so... You know, I, like, I think there are really very few systems where you can feel like what, like the code that you're writing needs to be beautiful because it's going to be around forever. And Urban is one of those systems. So it's like, you know, in past jobs, I would basically just like shit out JavaScript and not really care just because like, oh, it works, like who cares, whatever. But like Urban, I really do like take pride in like making sure that the code looks good and that it's robust and that like just everything is going to work, you know, and like taking pride in like maintaining that too.
0: You're, you're making the Sistine
2: Chapel. Yeah, I mean, basically. I mean, it's like an art form, you know? Mm-hmm. Y- y- mm-hmm. And if you're not treating it that way, then, like, that's a problem, you know? I think that's sort of like, you know, whatever. It's bad. Don't do that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And you've, you've written somewhat about this idea of the economics of software development changing and things kind of being more maintained by a guild in sort of the medieval sense. For example, people just doing, you know, one-off hiring a guild to make custom software for them. Can you kind talk about, like, where do you see kind of the economics of software development going in this urban future?
2: Right. So I think, like, the main thing is that... if So imagine we live in a world where, like, software, you write it once and it works forever so in that sort of world then any software that exists within urbit you would not expect like you need these huge web 2 companies to like maintain all of this stuff like the, the entire purpose of like the web 2 startup sas corporation is to maintain a bunch of like you know cruft because everything is constantly changing and shifting underneath you and so mm. in the world like in, if urbit ends up succeeding then we live in a world where like you write it once and it works forever. So then do you actually need this company? You actually don't. Um, and what it's going to look like is more like a guild structure where it's like, you know, or maybe like a plumber or like a, building a house where it's like, I call up my local like builder, my local plumber. He does the work once and then that's it. You know, he moves on to his next job. And then, you know, if I want to share like some knowledge, you know, about my stuff and I can just do it for free, right? Like sharing software is also like free and there are no barriers to that. Right, like any direction where you like try and get, um, like paywalls around software is just wrong, you know. Yeah. So like,
1: anything that's been built before is free, it's open source, but anything custom and new, you're basically doing one off contracting. Most likely.
2: Exactly. So we haven't like gotten we haven't reached some sort of like communist utopia where like, you know, you don't need to do anything because the robots do it for you. It's like this world where no, you do need new things built and you need specialized people to do it. But like they do it on a one-off basis. It's like I'm the first person that really needs this particular app or this particular feature. And then so you have to call in like a guild or like a plumber to basically build that for you. And then if someone else finds it useful, you're free to share it. Right. But the plumber just moves on.
1: Yeah, that's kind of, it jumped out to me when Justin Murphy hired a software developer um, just to, I think it, it, I think it, what it ultimately end up being called Page. Um, but he basically paid like $1,000, um, put a bounty out, a dev built him an app um, in a weekend. Um, and then, you know, it was open source. Anyone could then use, um, that app that he had, I think I'll, I'll, call it page for now. I forget the exact name. Apologize for that. We can put it in the show notes. Um, <laughs> but this idea of basically, uh, it, it looked very much like hiring when I would hire a plumber to fix something in my house.
2: Right. Yeah. And so I think this sort of begs the question of like, you know, what are the good monetization strategies for Urbit, given that we're sort of approaching the skilled future? Um, so I mean, the answers to that are basically, like, anything that has to touch Web2, where you have to basically maintain some sort of edge node to, you know, provide a valuable service to all of Urbit, then, like, that you, can, you will need, like, a corporation to maintain or something that looks like a corporation, and you'll probably be charging fees for that. So, like, for instance, like, Lukebar is basically running a connection to an ETH node. Um, perhaps, in, like, or hopefully, you know, in, in the best future, like, a, in a very decentralized way, but it will be able to, you know, collect fees on that because this is something that needs to be maintained um or like you know if for instance i don't think this is a good idea but if you wanted to do like email integration with like herbit right or so, or like stripe right for payments then like that should be maintained by a single node and you can collect fees on that
1: um mm. so distinct from this kind of prior vision of like every single herbit maintains a connection to for example um ethereum node
2: yeah, no, I think that's kind of a... We've already seen that this is sort of a disaster in practice and that, like, it's actually much better to just have, like, centralization of this stuff. Um, or, like, not, not, like, full centralization, like, one node, but, like, mild centralization of where, like, trusted nodes are responsible for, like, maintaining this for, on the behalf of, like, other people, right? So, like, stars would be, like, a good candidate for maintaining, like, the Azimuth connection and sending that data down.
1: Mm. Rather yeah, than, like, every f- single
2: planet connecting to ETH. Gotcha.
1: Well, let's let's dive into blog then. For example, right? Because like right now, um, you can write markdown. Um, you can format it with like a custom CSS. Um, it's hosted on your Urbit, Very easy to use. It's cool. You know, it doesn't quite have the features though of Substack. So, can you talk through like what features of Substack would you like built via like a connection to, for example, like an email API, um, like Gmail? Versus what would you require like the person have an Urbit to actually get? you know, maybe more enhanced premium features like payment,
2: subscriptions, et cetera. Right. Yeah. So I don't know if you mentioned this one part, but like part of the, the web one sort of like thesis of how we should be building projects is that like everything is public by default. Right. So every blog that I write is just on the open internet for anybody to read. And so yeah. I think it's actually going to be like really, really good for discoverability on Urbit. Like if you have everybody publishing like blogs and content and like media, you know, and everyone can see it, then, like, the sort of message that, like, hey, cool stuff is happening on Urbit, or people are using Urbit for cool things, that message starts to spread really quickly, um, as long as we're publishing good content. And, like, I think, you know, basically, like, the demand for, like, Urbit schizos to, like, write up crazy theories far outstrips outstrips the supply of good, like, ways for them to publish those ideas. Um, So we basically just need to be getting it out there. And then suddenly, like, people start sharing links around, like, oh, like, you know, Anthony wrote this crazy post about how nukes aren't real. Like, people start sharing that around. It's like, oh, this is built with Urbit? Like, that's cool. And then eventually, like, one day, people decide that they want to become a poster on this sort of network, right? And then they can do that. So you need an Urbit basically to publish, but not to consume content on Urbit. Like, one of the big mistakes is that you need an Urbit just to read any content on Urbit. Like, that basically makes sure that we stay irrelevant forever,
1: Yeah, and I've noticed that in my own experience, just like when I'm trying to Urbit pill people. Um, I fi- I'm finding blogs actually working really well. Like I Urbit pill. <laughs> I've been working on a friend here in El Salvador for a long time. And when blog came out, it, fin- it finally was like uh, it flipped him into getting onto Urbit and starting to shill Urbit on Twitter. So that was great to see. And then even yesterday in a meeting with, you know, a fairly rich, connected El Salvadorian, um, I showed him that I had a personal blog running on my own server, and that actually caught his attention. Like, I've been trying to urban pill that guy as well for a while. Um, so yeah, this, like, idea of, like, oh, I could actually, like, show people instead of just, like, pulling up groups and being like, hey, get onto Urban, and then maybe there'll be content for you in different groups. I don't even really know which groups to recommend at this point.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's sort of like, I don't know, like, the the, the old thesis, like, if everybody... It, you know, if all the content is just within Urbit and it can't escape outside, then you basically have to migrate your entire social graph onto Urbit. And like, everybody knows, anybody that has worked in Web2 startups knows that this is infeasible. Like, if you have that kind of problem, like, good luck, you know, really good luck. Like, that's not going to work. Like, Urbit needs to be a tool that people can use and get, like, useful things out of. It's like, publishing a blog is like a really basic one that you get for free. Yeah. You guys want to talk about Party Dow? Uh, I, don't, I don't know
0: about PartyDAO, so sure. If, uh... <laughs>
2: like, okay, if there are only going to be so many companies on Urbit, then, like, how, like, will people organize, like, and how will people, like, build software? Because, like, there isn't a ton of money flowing through the system in that world, right? So it's like, you know, what should we be doing right now? We should just be, like, throwing a ton of money into, like, PartyDAO. Right. Like there's this website called like Poolside FM, which is just like the super yeah, dope yeah. hangout spot. Yeah, exactly. It's just like great music, great vibes, everything. And so what we should be doing is building like Party DAO on Urban. Right. And so <laughs> the idea, like it's like Poolside FM on Urbit, Right. But it has all these like cool like social features built in and it's just like dope.
1: Yeah, it's sort of a Milady play. It also reminds me of what Sam Frank said in our last episode where he was talking about like just have the best parties in New York. That, like, but you actually yeah. have to you have to have something of substance, otherwise it just feels fake. Like, a lot of crypto projects feel when I've gone to their parties, like especially in 2017, it felt terrible. It was, it was totally fake. Um, so is party Dao the way to make is the idea
2: kind of do more like Urbit, New York type events? Yeah, basically and you want to like get, like you basically want like a hangout spot that is like actually cool online. so something like Gather town, but like you want to build it on Urbit. Right. So it's like, you know, yeah, basically just like a hangout spot, like digitally. That's like cool. And then that also gives you like tickets into like parties and like stuff like that. Basically, all they're trying to do is like build the cool stuff on Urban. That's just like cool. It doesn't really have to serve any like purpose other than like, you know, social aesthetics, like just sharing like good vibes.
0: Who's who's the vibes are? Who's uh, who's our uh, good, good time consultant?
2: We are, I mean, we're, we're hiring, you know, party does hiring, you know.
0: <laughs> all right, if you're, if you're out there and you fucking know what's up, if you know how to party, you know how to get down, get a Duchess and you can, you can run. You can, I guess you can be like the urban equivalent of like the shot girls who are, you know, wandering around, uh, you know, giving everyone a nice little treat,
2: looking cute and having, making sure we're all having a good time. Exactly. I mean, like, we basically need, like, an aesthetics like, czar, a vibes czar. Like, they need to be publishing, like, weekly mm-hmm. or monthly, like, playlists of just great music, you know, aesthetics, you know, poetry. And just, like, sending that out via Urbit to everybody in the world so they get the message that, like, hey, Urbit is dope. You should be on this right now. Yeah, I love that. Let's get a vibe czar. That sounds great. Vibes party Dow. And then you can monetize this actually pretty easily. This actually has a great monetization path. You know, like, you could probably raise startup capital for this.
0: What, what yeah. happens if uh, if someone doesn't like the vibe? Is there an impeachment process for the vibe czar if someone ends up, like, ends up being bad
2: vibes when what you need is good vibes? You know, I think, basically, if you make the wrong pick for the vibe czar, then this whole thing is done. You just have to make that choice well. It's got to be good. Out. Yeah, that's a high-pressure decision. I mean, like, yeah, like, I mean, like, there's like this question, like, what if the five star like, starts out good and then they go through like their blue period where mm-hmm. all they're doing is like sad stuff? You know, it's like, I don't know, maybe they'll we'll just have like a bunch of like downer parties. Maybe that's like, maybe that's interesting. The, the blue period was a that. great period, you know? It's it was. Great art. Yeah. It was, you know, maybe it's sort of like gloomy like we hang out in like rainy spots, you know, we yeah, in like, cold weather.
1: <laughs> we leave El Salvador, we're in like Scotland.
2: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, we go to Scotland, yeah. we go to Urshuaia, like, we're just cold, uh-huh. you know? <laughs> We just come to Montana. We're playing cold here. Dude, Montana would be another great spot, like Wyoming, just like kind of like the downer, the downer period of Party <laughs> Dow. Yeah, yeah. I would say more
0: dour than downer. You know, we're, we're, sure. uh, we're a, 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 a taciturn people. I, uh, <laughs> uh, that's great. I'm all in on, uh, on Vibesar. Um, so if you're, if you're out there and you know, if you're listening and you know that this is you, this is what you've been waiting for your whole life, then, uh, then get it. I mean, do you, is, is party Dow like an official thing? Are there, are there members? Are there people? Is there someone to contact if you, if you've got the right stuff?
2: No, like I'm looking to start this with somebody, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I'm sure there's something out there already called party Dow, but it probably sucks, mm-hmm. you know? But like, you know, just, okay, go to poolside.fm and just like look around for a bit and like, you'll understand basically the idea that I'm going for, you know? I think it could be like poolside time is like a little shallow, like it's basically just like vibes. Like we can probably go. We like need deeper. the deep end. Yeah, exactly. We we, can, we mm-hmm. can go a little deeper. We can publish more content. I think we could we could have like our own angle on this, and that's all like urban self sovereign native.
0: Yeah. Great. Well, I think uh, those are some excellent vibes to end this episode on. So. Duchess, thank you for, for joining us. A pleasant conversation as always. I appreciate your, uh, your enthusiasm and your, your desire for vibes. Um, so, yeah, th- uh, thanks again.
2: Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me.
0: Cool. All right. Well, uh, to all our listeners out there, uh, we'll see you next time on The Network
2: Age. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Network Age. It'll really help us to keep getting our ideas out there, getting, you know, great guests and giving you what you want. If you can just help us with a few things, uh, subscribe to us on your podcast platform of choice. Uh, Give us a good rating if you liked it. You know, hit that five stars. And our Twitters are in the show notes for me, Bitchel, and Nilrun. So follow us, retweet, promote the show, and we will keep giving you that amazing Network Age content that you love.